This Sunday is an interesting Sunday in that uh, I'm preaching on something that is fraught with landmines. I'm uh, on Relationships Part 8. Now, if I just gave that Relationships Part 8, no big deal. Um, but Relationships Part 8 is marriage, and we're going to be talking about that today. And uh, the reason we're going through this series is rooted in the fact that God wants each of us to understand that we are made for relationships. And I'm going to uh, dive in from there. So God, I'm going to give you my first paragraph here, and it'll be a little bit redundant, at least at the beginning. God has made us primarily to have and live in a relationship with him. However, he has blessed us with other relationships as well. So he's made us primarily for a relationship with him. But he has blessed us with other relationships as well, and these other relationships are indeed meant to be a blessing. One such relationship we will be discussing this morning is that relationship between a man and a woman, relationship of husband and wife. So it is God that establishes the institution of marriage. He's the one who made it. It's ordained of God. It's blessed of God. Marriage is a good thing. Thank you for that. <laughs> marriage is a good thing. Now, by the way, I want to start as well by noting that while, I'm, while I talk about marriage this morning, there could be a part of you that uh, switches off and says, well, I'm not married, or I'm widowed, or I'm single, or hey, I'm just a kid in here. Uh, I want you to understand that there's doctrine here that is for all of us, and it's important. And by the way, whether you're married or not, it is still God who ordains the institution, amen? And it's still God who orients society in a structure that he gives. And we would own this doctrine as of God, but it's because it is God who established it. And we would also own the importance of uh, of this doctrine as we live in a world that would seek to um, disparage or undermine this most basic and first of relationships. So I would argue that the first of all relationships is really our relationship with God. We're going to come back to that and back to that and back to that. But the first institutional relationship involving other people is a relationship of marriage. And so we go to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to start this morning by looking at what God has to say about marriage in Genesis 2 and hopefully correct some things along the way and be a blessing along the way as well. Genesis chapter 2. Now, uh, before we begin, again, it's impossible to approach this without the subjective nature of our own concepts. In other words, again, I'm single, or I'm widowed, or I'm this, or I'm that, or in my own marriage. My marriage has failure, or my marriage has this problem. Listen, God gives us his word so that we can anchor ourselves in him and grow. And so this isn't a time to beat yourself up over the past. It's a time to anchor yourself in the word of God. Can we agree to do that this morning? By the way, I didn't see you there. I was looking for you. Caleb, good morning. And is Benjamin here today? He's out in the foyer. Did I hear him? Or I heard some baby out there screaming. Was that Benj Benjamin David, his first service today, right? Everybody, congratulations to the Abernathys. Give them a round of applause. First Sunday to have Benjamin David here. And if you're in the sound of my voice, Benjamin, go to sleep. 
Okay, all right. <laughs> Don't worry, Pastor Jeff, you'll get him there. Okay. <laughs> Genesis 2. Genesis 2, 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. And, God, and the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Now, it's important to note that in this section of scripture, as we look it through, that God is having Adam name all the creatures, okay? We'll get to that in just a moment. But I want to take a moment here and talk about this idea of help me. The Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. So God initiates a blessing for him. And as we're going to see, as I said, Adam is naming the creatures and it's magnified. It's magnified for Adam. Each one of these creatures has a companion. Each one has a companion, has a companion, but not Adam. And so God takes specific note of this, and he says, it's not good that man should be alone. Now, I, again, I know this is the spectrum of there, there are people who are single here. I'm just going to give a testimony for me. I'm glad I'm not alone, okay? I'm glad that God has blessed me with a wife. And you heard me say just a, a couple Sundays ago, uh, I still have a, a, a hospital bed in my living room. And there are times where I just say, uh, well, probably more times than I care to uh, say, I beller Nora. And I won't illustrate what that sounds like to you. But I, I say beller because that's usually what they say to me. You bellered? And, uh, and sometimes it's just to have Nora come and sit with me and be with me. And why do I sometimes need to do that? Because mom stays busy all day long. But God noted, especially in the context of Adam, in the naming of the creatures, he magnifies this to Adam. They all have companions, but he says it's not good that the man should be alone. And now he says, I will make him and help meet for him. Now help meet uh, for some is seen as a derogatory term. Someone who's simply, well, she's Adam's little helper. But I think there is a definition behind the word that I think is not derogatory, and I hope to magnify that for a moment. It means someone who is an aid and a companion. The word helpmeet has the idea of an aid and companionship. And note this, the specific aiding that God is directly addressing in this passage is what? How is it that Eve is going to be aiding Adam? Well, the specific is in his aloneness. It's in his aloneness that she is aiding, allowing him not to be alone, allowing him to have, as the word uh, flavors itself, a companion to go through life together. Someone to, as we understand the context, someone who is to be a partner, uh, someone who is to be a friend, someone who is to journey with, to go through life together. And of course, there's so much more in the institution of the family. So the same word that is used here as help meet, the word help is found in Psalm 33:20, where I read for you, our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. So the Lord himself uses this word as someone who is our helper. We know him to be our refuge, our high tower, our salvation, the one who helps in our time of need. So the idea, the concept 
I think does deserve to have some flavor of at least inspection so that we realize that in the husband-wife relationship, this is not a relationship of domineering. This is a relationship of partnership. There is a friendship that is a part of this companionship. There is a going through life as a blessing of God, a, grow, a going through life together. Now, as we explore this, we see this magnified in verses 19 and 20. So, and out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found an helpmeet for him. So the Lord initiates. And the Lord gives Adam a blessing in the miracle of his creation in verse 21. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. Verse 23, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now, just minor things just to note here. Why did God create woman the way he did? Why didn't God do like he did for Adam in Genesis 2, 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Why did God not create even the same way? Well, you, you can, by the way, there, there's a whole joke list out there if you want to go search it. Um, God did it this way, at least I believe in part, to magnify the closeness of the relationship that man and woman were to uh, exemplify. They are one in flesh. They aren't created apart from each other as one out of the dirt and another out of the dirt. Uh, they are created out of each other. God makes man, and from man he makes woman. And so you find in the doctrine here um, of the creation that Adam even notes this, that this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And, uh, you know, as you consider what happens here, this is all initiated as a blessing of God, all initiated as something that God has given to be a blessing to mankind as a relationship. Now, remember, the most important relationship there can be is a relationship that we have with God. But God has given other relationships, and those other relationships are intended to be a blessing. But is it? But is it? So before I go any further, there is this verse, verse 24. And by the way, um, well, let me just read it first. Let's all read verse 24, Genesis 2, out loud together. Verse 24, read out loud with me. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So what is God's design for marriage? What is God's design for the family? 
God's design for the family is that when children come to age, to that time where they are wanting to be married, it should be encouraged, it should be sought for as they look for God's will, but knowing that it is a blessing that God gives, and when they are married, what are they supposed to do with each other? They are to cleave to each other. Matter of fact, the doctrine of the Bible has the idea of a gluing together. The idea of, of things that are inseparable and the idea of glue is so that when you pull them apart, they actually break apart each other. Now why is that important? Because they're not meant to be broken apart. They are meant to be one. So there is this cleaving that they have. So before you get married, it's good to have some advice along the way and that is how you relate or going to relate with this person that you're going to marry. And let me just say, it's not a great idea to be running back to mom or dad for the husband or the wife and say, do you know what she's doing? Do you know what he's doing? And going back to them and, and pitting one side against the other. By the way, in all the relationships there are that are fraught with difficulty, I think marriage has to be one of them that is uh, magnified above others. Uh, all kinds of people living in relationships that are broken and not healthy, but there is in principle in scripture that there is to be a cleaving to each other. Now I'm gonna tell you what I believe about that and you sort it out. But what I believe about that is that your spouse should be the closest person to you on the planet if you are married. Your spouse should be the closest person to you on the planet if you are married. And you might be saying this morning, but they're not. And I'm gonna tell you that where you are is not where you have to stay. And the condition of whatever brokenness that you're in is not where you have to live. God, remember, God gave marriage as a blessing. And in that blessing, there is a cleaving to each other and it says, they shall be one flesh. They become a family unit. And in that family unit, there's, it's where we have the idea of the leaving and cleaving. The health and respect of that individual family unit, unit that makes decisions as a family in their walk with God to follow what God has given them to do. Matter of fact, so much is this the case that when a person gets married, a husband and wife, when they come together, they are no longer under the authority of their parents. They are an individual family unit responsible for God, before God to make decisions that honor God in their lives. That's the design that God has given, this leaving and cleaving principle, so much so that there is a one flesh principle that happens. Now, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22, if you'll go there, Proverbs 18, 22, boy, am I gonna stir the pot with this one. <laughs> he that, well, I'll wait, I'll wait. Proverbs 18, 18, 22. I'll have you read it out loud with me. Proverbs 18, verse 22, I still hear turning of pages, which is good. Proverbs 18, 22, you there? Now you read it out loud because it's God's word. Everybody out loud with me. Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Amen. Amen. 
Let's read it again. Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor. Uh, I love this because, you know, there are some of you reading like this. Whoso findeth a wife obtaineth favor of the Lord. Is this word of God or is it not? You know what I love, about, I love about this? And I was too dense to catch this on my own. I caught it from a, either a, another preacher or a commentary. You realize there's no qualifier in this verse? Whoso findeth a great wife? Whoso findeth a talented wife? For pastors, whoso findeth a wife that can play the piano? It doesn't say any of that. It says, whosoever findeth what? A wife findeth a what? A good thing. Matter of fact, our translation, I think it's appropriate. You see italics in the King James, a good thing. The, a good thing there, the thing is given for understanding, but it's, it's appropriate to say, whoso findeth a wife findeth a good The blessing of a wife is a blessing of God, and here's what it says this way, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. All right, so time for personal testimony. I love to tell the story because it shows how pathetic I was and am. But I was about, oh, 23, 24, and I had wanted to be married for a long time. Um, when I hit, hit college, uh, I was already in the scene of, uh, who is she? Where is she? And, and, and what's God going to do? And I went to Maranatha uh, Baptist University. It's where Lydia goes to school. And I went five years to school there and somehow managed to go through all that time and, and not have a wife. And I wanted to be married. And then I was doing an internship in Danville, Illinois, and I was praying about where I should go, what I should do, and I wasn't married, so I didn't feel like I should be stepping into the pastorate, uh, not being married, and, 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 and you know, that was entirely secondary, but I, I, just, I just wanted a companion. And so I was praying about where to go, and I was looking at going to Calvary Baptist uh, Theological School in Lansdale, Pennsylvania, I think it is, um, and Bob Jones. Now, Calvary Baptist in Lansdale, the seminary was just for guys as I understood it. So I had a choice of going there or going to Bob Jones where there were girls. Where did I go? <laughs> I had a 1976 Chevy Malibu Classic, two-door, maroon, gray interior, slightly lifted in the back to show that I was from Maranatha and not Bob Jones. And, and at Bob Jones, there is a square in the middle of fountains. I would take that car and I would drive around the square just looking for the beam of God on that girl. <laughs> you think I'm kidding, but I'm not. Lord, where is she? I, I came here. Lord, there's girls here. Who is it? Oh, there's one. Oh, there's one. Oh, there. Crash. No, I didn't crash. Um, Pretty pathetic. Now, by the way, in that time, I'm going to tell you that God taught me a lot of lessons because my desire for marriage was so great 
that my center of walking with God was broken. I'm going to tell you that all kinds of ugly happened in that chapter of my life. That if there was any chapter I could take away, it would be that, that chapter. And it was principally this. I, I was loving the idea of marriage more than I was loving God. And God had to work in my heart that way. But in God's grace, the way that worked out is I, I surrendered. It was a very definite decision in my life. Lord, I'm going to, I'll give this over. I'll quit, I'll quit being pathetic about it. I'll give it to you. And... Uh, or whatever you do. And uh, I'll tell you more of the story than you need to know. But I knew Nora. I was a manager in the dining common. And um, Nora was um, one of the, what do we call those? One of the worker in, in, the, in the dining common, uh, cleaning crew and all that. And I used to see her. And I thought, my, she's pretty. And, uh, and um, I had a friend who was interested in her as well. And so he was a pastor. He was going to be a pastor. And so because I had, I had given you know, this over to the Lord and like, okay, Lord, uh, I'll see what I can do to help. And so I went to the downstairs cleaning area and I found uh, Miss Estes. I knew a Miss Forby back in the day, Miss Forby. And I, I went to her and I said, there's, a, there's an artist series coming up, Miss Forby. Has anybody asked you to the artist series? And uh, she said, no, and I left. <laughs> I didn't think it all the way through, okay? But I, I went directly back up to my friend, and I said, nobody's asked her. Go ask her. And he said, are you sure? I said, I asked her. And she said, nobody's. And, and I don't know if it was that night or the next day, but he went, and he asked her, and she said, No. And I, did, I found out because I saw him walking down the dining hall uh, hallway, and he was very grumpy looking. And I said, what, what happened? What happened? She said no. And, and boy, he and I were both mad. How could she say no? You're a good guy. What's wrong with that girl? And in that process, by the way, the reason she said no is because between the time that I'd asked if anybody had asked her, and he asked her, somebody else had, and she said yes. And uh, she didn't tell him that part. <laughs> uh, anyway, but it really is this way. Uh, there came, it came a time where I, I, I really felt led because of who she was and her character to ask her out. And uh, the dining common back in the day, I think it may still be this way, but I, I think that there, is, um, a, there are windows on the west side upper portion of the dining common and it was towards the end of the day, and the way the sun was hitting the room, uh, there were just beams of sunlight coming through those windows, hitting the tables below. Do you remember how many, I think it was like 5,000 or so that the dining common would seat back in the day, back in the day. Well, I had gone to Miss Forby again, and I said, Miss Forby, uh, can I see you after work? And that's all I said. And she said, yes, sir, I'll, I'll, I'll come to you when work's over. And I, I remember going into the dining common, watching her walk in. And when she walked in, it was like slow motion. <laughs> she walked in, and she came around the end of the table. And the sun was beaming right there at the end of the table. And as she came around, she flipped her hair.
and I just went <laughs> my wife and I our first date was February 4th 1993 we were engaged June 3rd we were married the same year December 18th 10 months ish and what God does in one relationship isn't exactly how he does it in every. But I was seeking a wife and God blessed. And God gave me favor to have a companion to go through life with. I'm owning what the scriptures say. That God blessed with a relationship that he did not have to bless with. He gave the institution of marriage. He gave the institution of marriage and the concept of companionship. And that companionship is a friendship. And he that finds a wife finds a good thing. Now, it may not be God's will for everyone to be married. But I'm going to say this as clearly as I know how in an age where marriage is being degraded. If you want to be married, seek it. And nobody said amen but me. Amen. If you want to be married, seek it. Seek it as a blessing in favor of God if it's what God has for you. And we know, again, the whole context of Scripture, it's not for everyone, but it is given as a relationship blessing. And it is not to be avoided like we're avoiding it today. Matter of fact, today's concept is not to get married. Today's concept is just live with somebody until you find maybe the right one. I'm going to tell you that you'll never find blessing trying to obtain something that God has designed outside of God. But wait. If marriage is a God-given institution and a good thing from the Lord, why does my marriage struggle? Why am I not happy in my marriage? I want to say something as clearly as I know how. It really comes back to your relationship with the Lord. If your relationship with the Lord is not right, your marriage will not be right. And you will not fix your marriage outside of the parameters that God has given. If you or your marriage is broken, you should really consider modeling your marriage after God's word instead of trying to fix it your way. I'm going to say that again. If your marriage is broken, you should really consider modeling your marriage after God's word instead of trying to fix it your way. So here's where we're going to take a transition moment. We're going to go to Ephesians 5. So you can take your Bibles there. I want to give a few statements and we'll get into Ephesians 5. Remember this principle. Marriage is a gift from God. It is a good thing. That's the first thing. Marriage is a gift from God. It is a good thing. 
Secondly, something to note, your future husband or wife will not be the ultimate fulfillment of your life. I'm going to say it again. Your future husband or wife will not be the ultimate fulfillment of your life. Next statement. Your husband or wife cannot be God for you. Now, I should have given this at the beginning before I started walking through. I stopped on number three there. There are six things I'm going to give before we get into Ephesians 5. All this is under this banner. Understanding limits and understanding unreal expectations. You see, many times we are dissatisfied in our marriages because we have broken some of these principles that I've just laid out. We think that if we get married, oh, all my problems are going to be fixed. We think if we get married, then I'm finally going to be satisfied in life. And if I get married, then all these problems will be solved. All you that are married, uh, what do you think? Number four, getting married will not stop you from being a sinner. Where there was one, now there are two. So instead of having one sinner to deal with, you have two. And if God blesses you with children, you know how it goes. Number five, a statement that often is made. I would be happy in my marriage if he... I would be happy in my marriage if she. Important to know here, you will not find happiness in marriage by fixing your husband or your wife. You will not find happiness in marriage by fixing your husband or your wife. You can only control who? You can only control you, and if you're honest, your hands will be full with that. You can only control you. Now, last statement I'm going to make before we get into Ephesians 5. If you are in a broken situation, you do not have to stay there. You don't have to live broken. But I want you to realize that many people make this the structure of their life all their lives. They've decided to live broken. They're going to stay broken because they have decided to stay broken. You will have decisions to make today that will absolutely change your marriage if you will honor God. And strengthen your marriage if you will honor God. So what we're going to do then is get into Ephesians chapter 5, and I want to make some statements here as we get into it. The importance of marriage, hear me, first of all, we've established that marriage is ordained of God, but we've come into Ephesians chapter 5 understanding that there is a mystery in marriage that God has revealed through scripture that is more 
than just you living with someone else as husband or wife. The importance of marriage is that your marriage is a representation of the gospel. Your marriage is a representation of the gospel. Say it out loud. Your marriage is a representation of the gospel. You'd say, no, it's not. A decision needs to be made. And it's time to stop treating our marriages like, well, they're broken and there's nothing I can do. That is not true. Matter of fact, if you are hopeless in your marriage, I can absolutely say without any inkling of doubt, if you are hopeless in your marriage, your eyes are not on God. Because God is a God of hope. And if we live in obedience to what the scriptures teach, God will bless our marriages. But we have to come to a place where we stop trying to fix it outside of the directives of God. And here's how it happens for most people. Before we make a decision to do anything right, we've got to stop looking for the other person to do it first. Before we start doing right things in our life, we have to separate from our hearts and minds the decision that I will do right when they finally do whatever. You are an individual walking with God, as we've been talking about in Sunday school for months now, you have a decision to make. Will you walk with God in your marriage? And understand, it's a whole lot more than just you two getting along. Your marriage is a representation of the gospel. And so for people that are single or widowed or not married yet, it's still important because when you see marriage and understand it doctrinally, you're looking at the gospel message. So in Ephesians chapter 5, we have the picture of the wife in the gospel. This picture exemplifies trust. It exemplifies a surrender. It exemplifies someone who is willing to surrender themselves and follow in leadership. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. <clears throat> Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, in lieu of this, because of this, as an effect of this, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So let me ask you this. What area of our lives as believers are to be surrendered to the Lord? What areas? If you said all or all of them, you are absolutely doctrinally anchored. There is no area of our lives as believers where we are to live independently of God. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. Everything we call it a Christian worldview. Everything we do, everything we look at, every decision we're making, we are tasting, we are handling, we are examining, is this Lord what you want for me? Is this in accordance in, uh, with my walk with you? Does this draw me closer to you? Does this tend me away from you? Lord, what is your opinion? Lord, what do you want me to do? That is the normative life of a believer. And if you're not there, there's a decision to make. Come to the Lord and surrender. By the way, this is quintessential to the gospel message. 
Everyone who is saved this morning has had a time in your life where you've been confronted with the gospel and you made a decision to surrender to the Savior who is Christ. You made a decision to forsake whatever it was you were trusting in, whether it be nothing, or whether it be false gods, or whether it be your works, or your goodness. When you came to Christ in the gospel, the gospel message is that only Christ could save. We would have to turn our backs on everything and place our faith solely in the person and finished work of Jesus Christ. And that trust is what we live in today. What are we trusting in to save our souls? Not our good works, not our merits, not our, our deeds that we have done. We are anchored in the gospel message. It is Christ and Christ alone that we are trusting in. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> so ladies, that's what this passage means. It means that you are an exemplification of that trust. You are a living demonstration of that trust. Now, I know there's a lot more to unpack here. There's a lot more that we could say, but for the sake of the time of message today, I'm not going to dive off into the weeds of the nuances. I do believe that wives are to follow their husbands in the Lord. I don't believe that a husband has the right or prerogative at any point to lead his wife into sin and tell her, you're obeying me even if it's a sinful thing. I don't believe that. The reason I don't believe it is because we obey in the Lord. But I also want to tell you this. The Bible doesn't tell you to submit yourself unto your husband because you got a really good one. Listen to me, ladies. You're going to stand before God someday and it wasn't whether or not your husband was worthy of your support. Every day that you live trying to honor the Lord in this principle and try to reverence your husband and lift him up as someone that is to be respected and followed, every day that you do that in the Lord, you are really doing it as unto the Lord. It isn't about your husband being worthy. It's about you worshiping God in your marriage and building and building and building this reverence, this respect, this submission that says, I honor and I value you. So the picture of the gospel here for the wife is this surrender. There is a picture of the husband as well. Now, by the way, for all of you that are maybe seeking marriage in your future or tucking away some points, remember to get a godly husband or to get a godly wife, you need to be a godly man. You need to be a godly woman. And if you want to know what to look for, look for someone who is surrendered in a wife. Look for someone who's willing to follow the Lord and obey him. So I'm going to say it before I get into the next point. My wife and I have been married now 27 years, and that's just a drop in the bucket compared to many in this room. There are some in this room that are in the 60-plus uh, range of marriage. But the success of marriage isn't that you have two people who are oh so similar and don't disagree on anything. 
Matter of fact, I will tell you, my wife and I, when we were dating and getting to know each other, we were both shocked at how similar we are. Matter of fact, walking away from the first date, you ever hear that idea of walking on air? I was walking on air. All the way, all the way back to my dorm, I'm like, Lord, I think she's the one. I think she's the one. And every date we had after that, we just kept getting confirmation. We agreed in doctrine. We agreed in application. We agreed. We agreed. Would you know that two people who agreed so much have had some disagreements? Would you believe it? One of us is a sinner. <laughs> and I know the church, and if you were betting, I know who you'd put money on, and that's not nice. The reason Christian marriages can be successful is because it's about the Lord. It's about him. So I'm telling you now, for those of you that aren't married, you want a godly person because you are leaning on the Holy Spirit in their life to make them do what's right because if they won't do it right for the Lord, they're not gonna do it right for you. It has to be about the Lord. The second picture is the picture of the husband in the gospel. And, and especially you young ladies that are thinking about marriage, you, you tuck this away. You're looking for these qualities, and I'm going to sum them up in two words. His relationship exemplifies selflessness and sacrifice. His relationship exemplifies selflessness and sacrifice. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also, what? He loved the church and then he says something else. And gave himself for it. Now I'm ashamed to say that, okay, now, was it arrogance? Probably. When I got married, I was 25. I had been through college to be trained as a pastor. I was supposedly trained so that I could counsel others in areas like this. I had been to grad school to be trained to be a pastor. And taking further study so that I can help others. So when I got married, I felt like I had a lot of education behind me. And when I got married, I learned something. And, and I'm going to tell you, I was surprised about it. I really was. I did not know how immature I was. And I did not know how selfish I was. Now, it, it, you may think poorly, I'm going to tell you a little story. We were, we were married December, January, it was February. I have no idea what the circumstance was. I know that I was working three jobs, living in a very cheap apartment, 
It had a very small living room, the kitchen and dining room shared, bathroom, bedroom. That was, I don't know how many square feet that was. We were so poor, as many young couples are, that we lit candles for light and minorly heat. We had a canary, and we stopped lighting the candles when the canary flew out of the cage and brushed its wings up against the wall, and it was a yellow and white canary, and when it landed, its wings were covered in ash or soot or whatever you call that. So we figured that's probably not a good idea. But it was about two months in, she was student teaching, which meant she was away uh, in class in public school. I think it was public school. At some point, at some point in this well-trained pastor's life who had just gotten married two months after, there's my wife standing in the kitchen, dining room, looking at me. I'm in the living room wearing my white uh, dining common outfit. It kind of looks like a chef. And I see her burst into tears, her hands down to her side, and she says, you don't love me. And then she turned and went back to the bedroom. I stood in that living room and I went, uh-oh. <laughs> and in my deep theological mindset, I thought, that's not good. <laughs> and from there, you realize there's one thing to read the scriptures. It's another thing to actually put it to work in your life. And, and through the years, and again, I have no idea what that was even about. But through the years, there are hiccups in marriage. There are hiccups of, what did you say? What did you mean? Why did you do? And if it isn't the Lord pulling you back to doing what's right, not only are you trusting in the wrong thing, but you're going to stay broken. It's the Lord who brings you back, brings you back, brings you back. So listen to me, ladies who aren't married, that are looking for marriage, you better dead dog make sure that that guy is selfless and sacrificial and surrendered in his walk with God because you are anchoring on that to be the initiative that brings him to do what's right in your marriage. Men who are married today, this principle is you where you live. You're doing what's right towards your wife is to look exactly like Christ to the church. It is a sacrificial life where you love your wife, it says to love your wife, and you give yourself like Christ gave himself for the church and love the church. It was sacrificial in verse 26 and 27, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. I'm going to summarize verses 25 through 27 this way. He gave himself sacrificially for our good. That's what we do. And we make a decision to do so. So I want to say something now before I get into verses 28 and 29. We need to learn in our marriages the limitation of human engagement. The limitation of human beings. 
Your wife will never be sinless this side of glory. Ladies, you don't even need me to say the other side of that, do you? Your husband will not be sinless this side of glory. He will not. And yet, I believe it is healthy to be able to thank God for what is there rather than to sulk over what is not. You've heard me say before, I don't like it about where I'm at personally. I don't, in my life, because of things that have happened, um, I don't like some of the emotional instability I have. Sometimes my wife will come to me and she'll say, what's wrong? I think more and more she's not even asking what's wrong. She just comes alongside me because I can't always put a finger on it. I can't always say it's this or it's this. I, I, I can't always identify it. Do you understand that when you put your head on your... <laughs> I'm a, all right. We're going to go a little bit long because... I'm going to get through this message. You need it. And if you learn from my bad example, good. So one of, one of the issues I had, <laughs> we came from different backgrounds. And manipulation is not good no matter which way, which way it comes from. I knew the Bible said to not let the sun go down upon your wrath. You know that verse? So what does that mean? It means... You don't ever go to bed. <laughs> Paul Duty, be quiet back there. You don't ever go to bed. Now, I hate to say it. I hate to say it. But the immaturity of, of, of that is exactly what I did. When I was upset, I would go to bed. And my interpretation of don't let the sun go down upon your uh, wrath was not biblical. But my concept was, well, we, I can't go to sleep mad. Well, she'd be laying there beside me, and I didn't want to talk to her. I wanted her to, to start talking. So what I would do is I'd turn over in the bed real hard. <gasps> Feel me wiggle the bed? I'm not asleep. And I would toss and turn, and, 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 and my sweet wife, she's like, she's asleep. <laughs> she is asleep. And in my selfish, I'm laying there thinking, oh, she doesn't let me because like she's going to sleep. She, she's snoring. How could, she, how could she be asleep when I'm so upset? You know, it, it, it's, it's amazing how immature we can be when Christ is not leading. And we find all kinds of ways to be that, immature, when Christ is not leading. And what happens is we're just looking at me, looking at me, looking at me, looking at me. The Lord tells husbands to sacrifice yourself for your wife, for her good. Verse 28 and 29 says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. So here's the idea. In the husband relationship, we are exemplifying surrender, selflessness, sacrifice, but there is a word here, there are several words. We've already looked at love or love's mentioned. But here it says cherish. 
One commentary on this says, cherish this way, to tenderly care for, to tenderly care for, and that is not as hard as it seems. But a decision has to be made. I've got to stop looking at my desires, my wants, my offense, my trouble, and I've got to start looking at her, of how I can be a blessing to her. Now, in the combination of all this, it goes on to say in verse 30, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. We, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause, you have a reference here to Genesis 2. Shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but here it explained. Here that mystery opened up. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Verse 33, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So, this message is a message of decision. It's a message of decision and, and, and recognizing that our marriages are not just an organization, an institution between two. Marriage is a picture of the gospel message. We, as sinners, need a savior because we could not save ourselves. And in that gospel message, Jesus Christ puts on human flesh, comes to this earth, and he suffers for us. And not because we deserved it, not because we had... Uh, something that we could give him, but simply because he loves us, he sacrifices himself for our good. And he gives an invitation. Whoever wants to be in my family, come. With all your stain, with all your brokenness, with all the mess of your life, come to me and he says, he will make you a child of God. Your marriage is a picture of exactly that. Ladies, in the way that you reference, in the way that you honor and respect and reverence your husband, it's not about, again, his value, it's about Christ. It's about how you exemplify the one you really worship. And you put a value and a respect upon your husband because you value your walk with your Lord. You value what Christ has done for you. And men, how much sacrifice does it take? Well, how much sacrifice did it take for Christ? He gave everything. He gave everything so that we could be invited into the family of God. And let me ask you, were we ever really lovely? Were we ever really a prize that God got? Matter of fact, since you've been saved, have you ever turned your back on God and done the wrong thing? Have you ever broken your fellowship with God because you were mad or wanted? 
And what does God do? He faithfully, faithfully, faithfully draws you to him. Because he's made you to be in relationship with him. So if you want your marriage to be a success, you have got to anchor it in Christ. And it's a decision you can make. It's a decision you can do because God has given it here in his word as a decision in doctrine that we embrace. The last thing I'll say this morning, I've already said, you have got to reject the selfish mentality of I will when they will. Amen? We've got to reject the idea of I'll start doing right when they start doing right. Now, that's the last thing I'm going to say, but I want to give you a last illustration. There's a person in my life who I knew who, whose wife became stricken with MS. She got to the place where she was paralyzed from the neck down. Obviously bedridden, couldn't feed herself, couldn't change herself, couldn't roll over in bed, couldn't do anything for herself. Nothing could she do for herself except for speak. That husband made a decision. I'm going to selflessly love my wife and care for her like Christ cares for me. The Lord took her to glory. He became a widow. And that was a hard thing to go through. And nobody said that life would be free of hardships. But aren't you glad there's Christ to go through it with you? Aren't you glad there's the power of God to help you in your time of need? We have this moment to exemplify God in our marriages. We have this moment as a nation to lift up and to hold as respectable the institution that God designed. If there was ever to be a healthy relationship of marriage on the planet, it should be in the house of God. It should be God's people. To do so, we make a decision. So God help us to make that decision this morning.